Hello, and welcome to the Path of Most Persistence. This is a place where we hear and share tenacious stories of overcoming obstacles with our partners who dare to share a bit of their own personal paths. Don James leads sustainability strategy and transformation with Deloitte's strategy and analytics practice. As a managing director within energy and technology sectors, Ms. James leverages her subject matter expertise to foster industry alignment and new business development, helping customers leverage solutions in sustainability, climate, and equity to accelerate their sustainability journeys. Dawn leads a wide range of initiatives in energy transition, sustainability, digital cloud solutions, and innovation. Dawn has over 25 years of industry program management experience as a geoscientist and systems leader. She is a certified naturalist formerly serving as Global Director for Industry Strategy, Energy and Sustainability and Director for U.S. Sustainability and Environmental Science Strategy at Microsoft. In addition, she served as research hydrologist with the U.S. Department of the Interior. Dawn's expertise not only includes results-driven leadership, market incubation, and ecosystems innovation, but she also articulates value at the convergence of industry and technology. Dawn. Thank you so much for being here today. I've been looking forward to this conversation ever since we first met uh, a few months ago. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate the invitation and I'm happy to be here. When I reviewed your content and looking over doing all my research and study on you, you're so impressive in, it seems, every area of your life. Hopefully, you, you'll be able to tell us a few of those stories, how you've been able to attain such success, if it's been intentional every step of the way, or it's just been by happens chance in some aspects. Before we even get into that, I want to talk about the very beginning of, of why geoscience, I love that. I love that that's where, I believe, your degrees yes, were yes. Mm -hmm. and where you first had your professional career. Right. That, that's correct. Yeah. Um, so I started with geoscience. I want to say that, that my love for math and science started when I was very young as I um, recall what I was like when I was when I was small. And uh, one, um, my parents got me into music when I was young. So I played the piano and I played the violin when I was very young. And um, as a lot of people tell you, when you play an instrument and read music, it has a lot to do with pattern recognition and math. Mm -hmm. And I think that that um, lend itself to when I started really studying math, um, I'd say like middle school was when yes. I really felt it, like algebra, um, that I could see the math, right? Like I could understand it as soon as someone explained it to me and it came very naturally to me. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. That you could see it. I could see it. I could understand. I, you know, I have two daughters and um, my, my daughters are like that too. They can understand math very um, fluidly. Uh, and uh, when I started to learn more about math being the language of nature, of how we describe nature, it was very natural for me to gravitate towards the science of nature. Mm -hmm. So originally I was a physics major, um, and that's what I started out in my freshman year as a physics major. 
Uh, but uh, quite candidly, I did not like the labs. Um, I didn't like being inside all the time, yes. and I thought that the basics of, chem of physics was very stuffy. Um, so when I took my first geoscience class, it was outdoors, mm -hmm. and it was physics mm -hmm. outdoors, and so I fell in love. Okay, so many directions <laughs> I want to go already. But before we leave you as a child, so when you started identifying those connections and you were really becoming fond of them, mm -hmm. I guess falling in love to some mm -hmm. degree, mm -hmm. was that nurtured? Was that, you say your daughters have those traits, did mm -hmm. your parents, and was that nurtured at home? Was that also something that you were encouraged at school as well? Um, I don't, I would say I wasn't discouraged. Um, I, I was a very headstrong child, and um, one of the things that my mom always said uh, was, uh, "Don't stifle her creativity." That's what that was the line always because I was always getting into stuff. I was always doing stuff, and I wanted to be all kind of different things and do all kind of different things. I wanted to travel. Um, I had a head full of dreams, and so I think that. Um, all I can say is that no one discouraged me. Whatever it was that I dreamed, people said, okay, you can do it, right? Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that, um, you know, people, uh, you know. Encouraged. Encouraged yeah. my, my love of math. I think that that just came naturally to me. Um, but however I wanted to pursue my dreams, my mom just said, don't stifle your creativity. So I just continued to be creative. Oh, my goodness. What a gift. So when your mother said those, made those comments, was she just making them to you, to family members, or did she actively say that to people maybe uh, in your schools or to community members? She said it to everyone. Oh. Um, you know, my brother, when he would be mad that I messed up his stuff, to my dad when I deconstructed something, to the teachers when they said that I was too headstrong about something, or she said it to everyone. Um, so that was, it was always the repeated line that, um, that, you know, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's double-edged sword, but I mean, she felt that I could do no wrong. And then, you know, it was the, um, she just encouraged me to be creative, and she never wanted to stifle my dreams, whatever that meant. Well, so whenever you write your first book, your memoir, <laughs> it should be, don't stifle her creativity. That's, that's a good line. <laughs> it's a very good line. I love that so much. And what a gift yeah. that you had a mother that um, did that for you. Yeah. It's such a gift. It is absolutely a gift. Mm. Absolutely. I think um. about it almost every day. Do you still have your mother? Oh, yes, she does. Oh, very yes, nice. Yeah. Um, and is she still one of your champions? Oh, absolutely. My number one fan. <laughs> Love it. As it should be. Yeah. As it should be. Absolutely. I feel as though we're going into your personal life right now, but mm -hmm. let's do it. Sure. So what else did you learn from your mother? Uh, well, I learned how to learn um, from my mother. Um, I learned about um, putting myself first and self-care. Mm -hmm. um, she taught me uh, to take care of myself, you know, um, because she had a stressful job. And, you know, I remember um, how much stress she was under when she was, uh, you know, when I was, you know, when she was my age that I am now. You know, I remember her being at the height of her career and how stressful it was and the things that she had to do to um, reclaim her time, reclaim her peace. Uh, and uh, that taught me a lot uh, for for now that I'm 
at that stage in my career with children. And um, I do, I stop, I stop and I, um, I cultivate my joy Mm -hmm. very intentionally. You know, um, one of the things I, I ask my girls sometimes, you know, what makes you happy? And it brings a lot of joy to my heart to hear them rattle off a list that makes them happy. You know, all the little things, all the big things. And I consider that a gift for myself that I can rattle off the things that make me happy, the little things, the big things. Um, And so when I have to complete that stress cycle, I know the things that I need to do, the strategy that I need to go through so that I can reclaim my peace of mind. That is beautiful. So for self-care, for not only your mother, but Mm -hmm. for you, what does that look like? I know you take that time, but what does that time look like? Is it purposeful meditation? Is it taking a walk? Is it exercise? Is it prayer? Is it what is it for you? It's all of the above. Mm-hmm. You know, I have um, a number of tools in my toolkit, and depending on the time that I have or the time that I carve out, um, I do it all. So, um, one, uh, I've been taught to meditate since I was young. I'm from mm-hmm. California. I don't know if that means anything, but <laughs> I've been taught yoga and Cali- and um, and meditation from a very young age. I never used it as an exercise, though. It was always something I thought that you did when you didn't have anything else to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I got to a certain point in my career where the stress was affecting my body, you know, affecting my health, then that's when I started um, really falling into meditation as an exercise um, to reach that level of calm, that level of peace, and then also to um, be able to get my mind to think more clearly yes. about all the things that I have to hold on to, all of the threads that I'm holding on to. Um, so that has been an extremely powerful tool. Um, also exercise. Um, I do yoga every single solitary morning. Um, and then obviously I go to the gym, I do the walks. Uh, sometimes if I don't have time, it's just I go out in the backyard, put the sun on my face and walk around in circles. You know, um, I make sure I get my sleep. Uh, I uh, like the long, hot baths, you know, and um, one of my pandemic purchases is a uh, jade mask mm-hmm. and um, the coolness on my eyes, you know, and it doesn't have to be, you know, a 30 minute. It can be, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes where I just take five breaths with the mask on and then, okay, I'm ready for the next thing. You You sharing that, uh, I appreciate so much. I think that our audience benefits from that. I think we all benefit from against not only someone of your stature, but your success, but for women to talk about that openly. I think our society um, seems less judgmental mm-hmm. about self-care in this last decade or so, yeah, especially used, after COVID. It didn't used to be that way. No. It didn't used to be that way. And it's interesting because when I got my first um, nine-to-five job, I remember, mm-hmm. um, gosh, I don't know, it was right out of college, and I did temp work was the first thing that I did. And that <laughs> was the first time that I, you know, was up at seven, eight-hour day, you know, and I don't drink coffee. Yes. So it was physically difficult for me to stay awake and alert and like focused for that entire period of time. So that was when I first started 
and this is can be a little controversial. I know some people don't like the sound of this, but I think it's come come full circle now. But I started micronapping. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I didn't sleep for three hours, but I would sleep about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes um, at lunchtime. So I'd yes. have like a quick lunch for five minutes and then I'd sleep for 10 minutes and then I'd get up and do a couple of breaths, walk around the car and then go back. And that's how I would get through my day. Wow. And so I still do that to this day because I still don't drink coffee. Yes. And so it's difficult for me to have now. It's not eight hour days. It's 10 hour days, yes. 15 hour days. Yes. And I am able to perform at that level with clarity because I sleep, I meditate and I micro nap. Mm-hmm. Right. And I get out and I exercise. I get the sun. I do all of the things. And, um, you know, a 10 minute nap completely refreshes me. It works. And it's beautiful because those things may or may not work for other people because everybody has their own chemistry, their own personality, their own life demands. Mm -hmm. But I find that intriguing that you know that about yourself, that you identified what works for you Mm -hmm. and you've been consistent with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that uh, that part of the equation is part and parcel to that long list of, you know, accolades that you were reading about. Yes. It, it That doesn't happen without me being able to take care of my body. So true. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me and the audience because, again, there, there has to be a balance somewhere in our lives. Um, we all go through the hills and valleys mm-hmm. of life. Absolutely. But... Taking that time to, to care for yourself. And also, to me, Dawn, part of that self-care mm-hmm. is a time for introspection. Right. Really identify, Absolutely. are you the person finding your center, finding, ensuring you have a core, number one, you yes. have a center? Yes. Um, and is it the center that is intentional? Is that who you want to be? Is that Absolutely. who you need to be? Because, again, going through life, we change. Yeah. The demands change. Yeah. Our situation, circumstances change. But uh, so, so we adjust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how have you adjusted over the years? Yeah. Of, you mentioned your daughters, mm-hmm. um, having children, managing your life, yeah. all the demands, your fantastic career. How do you adjust? Well, I think that one, I accept change. I've always accepted change. I think that um, I'm not the same person I was last week. I'm not the same person I was a month ago, a year ago, and I accept that, um, and I encourage that about myself. I think that I should change. If I'm presented with new information, then I should change my opinion, right? Um, and I think that because I um, grew up as a scientist, I've always, I'm an information hound. I love information. I love mm-hmm. different ways of gaining information, um, which is part of the reason why I meditate, because then I can absorb more information. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, because of that, I'm presented with new variables yes. all the time. Yes. And um, now you're right. Uh, there is a center. There's a core, there's a, a piece inside of me that um, is consistent, right? But those things are things like um, the things that bring me peace, the things that um, bring me a sense of freedom. Yes. You know, those are the things that I've always strived for. Um, and then there's the piece of me that um, 
I've had to rein in over the years, but I am a consummate dreamer. I daydream all the time. And I think that that helps me, one, to be very unique in the space where I, you know, spend time and work. Um, But then it also helps me to be very in touch with what makes me happy. That is beautiful. And it allows for creativity. It feeds the opportunity to create. I'm so glad you mentioned that comment about change because I was recently talking to a friend of mine um, that mentioned that someone had made the comment that, oh, you've changed. And it was an intention. I think that comment was meant to hurt Mm -hmm. uh, that person. But to me, that was that's a beautiful sign yeah. for in most situations, yeah. especially I think for this individual that if that person truly changed, it's only been for the better because we evolve, hopefully yeah. in circumstances and in situations. So um, I think it's hard to stay the same. I think that you have to work very, very hard to be exactly the same, mm-hmm. right? Imagine how hard it would be to wear the same clothes every day. I, I, I can't. Right? right? Like, <laughs> I mean, you have to change. You yes. have to work really, really hard to not evolve because it's our nature to change and evolve. Right? And it's part, not only is it that, that's such an excellent point, Dawn, but it's also killing off the possibilities of who you were meant to be right. and what your essence mm-hmm. is trying to be yeah. almost just to to work so hard. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, I work very, very hard. Yes. You know, I'm a very, very hard worker, but I appreciate ease and I appreciate alignment. Mm-hmm. And when you resist change, you resist alignment and you resist that sense of ease. You know, one of the things that I say all the time is that um, peace of mind is the new success. Mm-hmm. That's the new measure. That's the way I measure my success. That's perfectly put. Yeah. You have so many quotes already that we're just going to use. Uh, everything you've said is just not only uh, so valuable, but so eloquent. And, and thank you for that. And I'm enjoying this so much already. You talk about working hard. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that. Sure. So you identified yourself um, as a young person loving music, loving math, loving science. Mm-hmm. So... Were you consistent in that in your educational career? And as you went through those, how did you navigate your into your personal and professional career? Well, it wasn't you know easy because I think that um, one there there was uh, a certain innate natural ability that I had towards mm-hmm. math. However, um, hopefully you know many people can resonate with the fact that you hit a wall. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I hit a wall when I got to college. It wasn't easy anymore. I didn't just know it. (laughs) I had to study my butt off. I had to ask for help, and sometimes I didn't do well. I was used to just thinking about it and getting A's. That didn't happen in college. Um, I was learning things that I had never even conceived of. I had never even knew existed, and then I had to learn it so quickly. And so um, it wasn't easy those first two years. It was really hard. Um, and I fell down. I, um, you know, was depressed. And um, it took a lot um, to come out of that. You know, it's one of those things that when you fall in a hole and then you learn to climb out of it, 
One, you learn to not fall again, or you learn how to get up, right? And so that's what I learned. I learned um, how to fall and get up, fall and get up. But what did that look like? Okay, I I, I can see, Mm -hmm. I'm very visual. I see you going through that. But what did it take? What did the getting up Mm -hmm. look like for you? Well, it looked like um, assessing all of my resources around me. Right. And that's something that that was a skill set that I use to this day. Yes. Whenever I feel stuck in a box, what is it that is actually at my fingertips? Mm-hmm. Is there someone that I can ask? Do I need to pivot? Mm-hmm. Is there, you know, like what is it that I can access? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I've been at different points in my career where I do that and it doesn't work. I try this. It doesn't work. I try yes. this. It doesn't work. Yes. Um but then that's where I think to the, you know, the, to the, the point of the, this podcast where that persistence comes in. Exactly. And that's where that, that core, you know, that little girl that believes that in her dreams, right? And believes that no matter what happens, I'm going to make it. I'm going to live and I'm going to make it, right? Like, so like when you're in those, that mindset, in that depth, you're like, okay. Well, let me try this. It doesn't work. Okay. And every single time, every single time, eventually something that I tried worked. Well, okay. So let's talk about that little girl. Mm -hmm. So that's a little fighter girl. She's a tough girl. She's persistent. But even those Mm -hmm. little girls, that the essence of who you are, Mm -hmm. sometimes she gets the wind kicked out of her. Right. I'm assuming. Absolutely. So how do you energize that little girl how do that's, you that's that self-care that's yes. the the, the pieces yeah. where um you dig deep you know i was also an athlete mm-hmm. yes. right and so that's where you start digging deep and you, again you look at your family you look at um you know the affirmations the um you know i mean i do the whole thing like sometimes yes. you've got to pull it all out of your <laughs> yes. toolbox you know sometimes yes. it's yes. you know taking a vacation you know sometimes you know um calling that friend you know mm-hmm. i've i've gone through things recently and you know years ago and i have those friends i need you to hold space for me they call me immediately right and process right dump vent um, sometimes, um, one of the hardest things for me, and it, you know, I think the first time I felt this was, um, I used, like I mentioned, I was an athlete in high school, college, and, um, the first time I lost a race, the first time I didn't get chosen for first chair on the orchestra, oh, oh my God, rejection. Mm. Ooh, it was, that was a hard lesson for me, how to handle rejection. We're going to talk about rejection. We have to because we must. Um, So did you figure out rejection, how to manage rejection there at that time? So So we're good? it It took me some time, and I still have to fall back on those lessons. For me... What what helped me to handle rejection was um, to let go of the competition, let go of comparing myself to others Mm -hmm. and to run my own race and to look at everything that happens as a lesson, readjust how I see it. Rejection is really just an opportunity to redirect yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's true. 
every time, and I can say this unequivocally, every time that I was rejected, the lesson that I learned from that has carried with me and made me stronger. And eventually where I ended up was better than that place that I thought I wanted to be. And that is part of releasing yourself. You have to let it go. You let it go. I mean, you have to go through the process. You know, um, sometimes you have to go through what feels like a grief process. Mm -hmm. You have to grieve the dream that you thought it was going to be. And you have to, you know, feel it, you know, let those emotions come through you so that you can move past it. You have to go through that grief process. But then, you know, one of the things I, I say to myself is, girl, get up. Get up. And you put that foot right in front of the other. You know, you do what you need to do. And then eventually, eventually, you know. She got up and she's she moving along. She got up and she did, you know. <laughs> and then it's it, it becomes a story. Mm. So with that, <clears throat> we're eventually going to get to your current position. <laughs> we're going to get there. But with some of those um, getting ups, so to speak, what have been some of your greatest accomplishments after a crawl up, a get up? Oh, there's been so many. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of them um, uh, that I think about that was a, a big pivot in my life. So you were, when you were reading some of the accomplishments in my career, um, you talked about being a hydrologist for the USGS and the Department of Interior, how I got that job. Right. So um, I was working in geotechnical engineering uh, after my undergraduate degree. Mm -hmm. And um, it was essentially construction. It was the AEC sector, the architecture, engineering, construction sector. And um, it was dirty work. It was hard work. It was dangerous work. When you say dirty work, just for the audience, mm -hmm. you were... I worked on a construction. physical. Yeah, it was physical. It was and it was hands. actual... Yeah, I was working dirty. on a construction yes. site with contractors, with earth movers. Um, yes. I was building... Um, uh, different uh, um, uh, hillside grading um, activities in yes. Southern California, so uh, hillside mitigation. Mm. And so I was an on-site geologist. I was the only woman, literally the only woman called color for miles around. Um, I got misgendered a lot um, when I would go to lunch and things like that. Um, and I was in the trailer one time, and I was kind of depressed. You know, this was hard work, and... Um, I didn't know if this was something that I could do for the rest of my career. And um, I was uh, in graduate school. I was taking um, graduate school classes at night and working construction during the day. And I was in the trailer, and um, the, the job site was in Malibu. And it was a clear day. And I looked out the window, and I could see Catalina Island. And I had gone there to camp when I was a kid. And this idea came in my head about um, teaching geology on the island. So I called them, literally looked them up and called them and said, I'm a geoscience graduate student and um, I have an idea about running geology hikes on the island. Is there a way that I can volunteer and do that? And they said, yeah, come out here. You have to go through our naturalist training program. That's how mm -hmm. I became a certified naturalist. 
um, come in, and so I can tell you all kind of facts about all the Channel Islands. And so they went, took me through all the, the, the naturalist training program and taught me the history. So I became kind of like a, because uh, the Catalina Island Conservancy. So I became a docent there. Um, I would take the uh, ferry across. Uh, I, I went uh, about two or three times a month and I ran a geology hike. They advertised it in their little newsletter. And um, I took samples from the rocks along the trail and went to my school and made um, thin sections and photomicrographs, mm. blew them up, laminated them, and then took people on a journey of the history of the island, the geology, and um, the formation of those channel islands off the coast. And then I ended with why uh, geoscience is important to infrastructure and in our, in our civilization and how it works. And um, and that's why I'm also a very big proponent of, of infrastructure and decarbonizing that sector. Um, and so uh, at the end of one of those hikes, and you can tell I'm very passionate about yes. these kind of things. And so I've, I've always been that way. So I was into it and I'm like, got all my hand samples and photomicrographs and talking about the rocks and I'm like into it, right? And it was about a two hour hike. I would do, I did it all summer, you know, several months. I would um, camp overnight and I would do it too. So I camped on yes. the beach while I was there. There were some other scientists that were young like me and we would camp out there on the beach and then I'd run the hikes on Saturday and Sunday. Anyways, at the end of one of the hikes, this gentleman, he's like, Don, that was one of the most amazing presentations and hikes that I've ever been on. Whatever you do, you're going to be extremely successful. Here's my card. If I can do anything to help you, let me know. He was the chief geoscientist of the USGS for California. Goodness. You never know. And I asked him for a job, and he got me an interview, and that's how I became uh, working for the, the Water Resources Division um, as a research scientist. That's a beautiful example of something we talk to students about all the time. You never know who's watching. You never know who's listening to you. We are always making an impression constantly. Yeah wherever we are, whatever we do. And it seemed as, as though you have a keen sense of being aware of opportunity around you, just being um, sensitive to taking advantage of almost like the epiphany you had, just that, oh, you acted on it, a notion that you had, and you acted on that. That, that in itself is such... Um, a strong characteristic of someone, especially someone that obviously has accomplished so much. But as you were speaking, I'm so curious. I, I have a friend that is a certified naturalist as mm -hmm. well. And I, I tease her that, you know, she's hashtag goals for me because someday. <laughs> but what has nature taught you? Mm. Observation and, um, and definitely the power of perspective. You know, um, I feel like, uh, especially when uh, you start learning the science of nature, yes, it is an art and a science, you know, um, and you start really diving into the patterns of nature to understand the micro and the macro, um, and you start really um, diving into the interconnectedness mm -hmm. of everything. Um, not only do you see the metaphor and the parallels in your own life and yes. your own body, because yes. we are of nature, um, but then it radiates out into everything. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I know a lot of people ask me, you know, how did I go from geoscience into yes. tech and to consulting and strategy? And the thing that I say all the time is that 
I am very good at recognizing patterns. And that started from uh, observing nature. I mean, that's, you know, that's why I consider myself a systems leader. Yes. Because that's what this is. It's understanding systems. It's being able to hold many variables and recognizing the the patterns Mm -hmm. in those variables and the interconnectedness. Um, And it sounds esoteric, but when you start breaking down the science of it, that's literally what it is that we're doing. That's exactly the truth. Um, And so if you apply an artistic eye to the science, you end up mm, being able to predict things. Because it follows a pattern. Right. There's a pattern. It always goes back to the pattern. But you're not really predicting, right? Right. What you're doing is you're understanding the present in a way that you understand how what's feeding the different pieces. Like, so for instance, um, I remember that I was working with this uh, big Fortune 500 company, and um, you know, I gave my presentation, you know, to talk about sustainability, ESG, energy transition. Mm-hmm. I do the whole thing, and I get to the end of it, and the guy's very, very impressed. He's one of the presidents, and he's just like, first of all, Don, I want to offer you a job." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> I don't have a job," and then he goes, um, "Tell me how to future-proof my business." And the way I, I think and the way I answered that was that the future is happening now mm-hmm. unequally in many different places mm-hmm. in the present. Yes. It's about what fuels those different unequal futures mm-hmm. that leads one step to the next and gives life to the thing that is going to end up being next. Mm-hmm. And so it's understanding the landscape that helps you understand what to do next. Mm-hmm. And so that is information. It's mm-hmm. understanding variables mm-hmm. and then being able to connect patterns, which is systems leadership. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, let's transition into your current position, mm-hmm. what you do, what is it that you do? Mm-hmm. How is it that you do it? And how, because it's, it's a recent change. Yeah, it's very new. So it's just, I'm just a month in. So. Yes. And how have you adjusted? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I spent the last uh, little over four years at Microsoft and um, that was a big change for me. Mm-hmm. So I was um, an individual contributor for the majority of my career as mm-hmm. a geoscientist. Mm-hmm. And um, when I made the pivot into to, to Microsoft, I leveraged the um, industry expertise that I had from being an individual contributor and applied it to digital transformation. So Mm -hmm. the core of what um, Microsoft does from an IT and cloud services company, Um, but being able to put the lens of industry on top of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that position, was the first time in my career that I could bring all of my experience to bear, where my work in engineering was relevant, my work in environmental science was relevant, my work as a geoscientist was relevant, um, and I could bring all of that to bear and learn something new, 
right? Mm-hmm. So I had to teach myself business management. I had to teach myself digital transformation. I had to teach myself that entire portfolio and then how to articulate that in a way that was um, driving impact for our customers. Yes. So that's where where I'm at today with Deloitte, that this type of work, that's where it started, was at yes. Microsoft. So I segued that industry expertise into strategy. Um, and so that's where, again, I taught myself and I took classes. So I haven't finished, but I'm, um, I'm getting a certification from Stanford Graduate School and um, in their uh, business, their, their business graduate school. And so for me, that taught me the nomenclature. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a scientist, so we're all about nomenclature. Yes. You know, it's, yes. like you just, it's just another language, right? <laughs> yes. And um, so I, I absorbed it, you know. Mm-hmm. So once you're able to absorb the nomenclature and then understand the nature, yes. again, the nature of organizations, because it's really just, um, you know, human beings that create it. So there's a psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, for organizations and you combine those things and you understand sales and business development and you understand the markets and that sort of thing and then you start to be able to develop that strategy for what comes next and how you leverage uh, digital acceleration, maturity, data, you know, AI, ML, all of the bells and whistles, mm-hmm. all of the things, right? Um, you learn how to leverage that in a way to, as that one president said, future-proof the business. Yes. Um, so that's what I did at Microsoft. And for me, that next step was because I wanted to be able to double down on what I do well. Mm-hmm. And that's always been, you know, this um, nexus for me. Yes. And when I talk about the peace of mind and the um, being able to do things that are in alignment, that is doing what I like to do yes. um, and doing what I do well, right? So I do that very well. And I like to talk about these type of things. I like to talk about the interconnectedness. I like to um, be able to bring that digital aspect into um, how we're going to change our ways. Mm. Okay. Right. You just, that's the hot spot right right there. That's, that's the hard. How are we going to survive, mitigate, or adapt to change? Because our climate is changing. Like it or not. Like it or not. So, how are we going to decarbonize, mitigate, adapt? You know, and there's a full gamut, you know, there's engineering solutions, there's retail solutions, there's a full gamut of things, variables, information, things that we have at our fingertips. How are we going to hone all of this into a dream, a vision, clarity, methodology, strategy, and implementation and deployment? How are we going to do that? How are we going to infuse innovation into the process? And how are we going to do it different? Because what got us here is not going to save us moving forward. So how are we going to do it in an equitable way? Yes. How are we going to do that with justice at the center? Mm-hmm. And how are we going to do it in a way that is fast and efficient and takes into account the global human condition? So then, Don, how are we going to do it? <laughs> we do it together. We do it together. Do and it, it does together. take lots of partnerships. Yes. yes. It takes lots of collaboration. Absolutely. And so that very um, lofty purpose yes. 
is what drives me. Because one, um, what I do well is helping companies figure this out. Mm -hmm. And um, having the resources and um, the other thing that, that I do well is synthesize information. Mm -hmm. So a company like Deloitte, they um, are professional purveyors of information. And so I, um, I, you know, the first month that I've, you know, since I've been there, I've just really enjoyed myself and trying to understand, um, you know, the, the, the pieces that, that I feel are where we need to um, cultivate this information. I'm just absorbing it at this point. Um, I think that uh, when we start talking about uh, shifting and changing economic structures, um, there's a lot of information on that. How do we fund um, the right kind of innovation to spur change. That's really a big part of what I'm studying and learning right now. Um, and then also uh, the different types of technologies that are coming to fruition. So I sit on the board of directors for Greentown Labs, which is um, one of the largest uh, clean tech incubators in the United States. And um, looking at that innovation sector, looking at the startup space, how do we bring these new innovations and technologies up to bear so that corporations and businesses can take advantage of um, leveraging these these innovations and, and being able to scope and scale them? Because that's, that's one of the things that we need, not just having a good idea is enough. We need everybody to be able to um, leverage that good idea. That's right. And be in agreement that is it is a good right. idea. Well, I think it's all hands on, 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 you know, on deck at this yes. point, right? I don't think that we throw away ideas at this point. I think that, like I said, the future is happening unequally all over the place. So um, I think that in a lot of ways, the market will weed out what works and what doesn't work, mm -hmm. but we bring it all up to the surface. One thing that was very exciting to me were, uh, are the number of scientists that mm -hmm. um, Deloitte employs and um, the number of creative thinkers. Uh, I've um, always been fascinated by futurists. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's several chief futurists that, that work at Deloitte. And um, I was laughing when I finally got to have a meeting with one because I was, it's like, I've been cyber stalking you for about a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, I absolutely love having access to, to people's minds that are um, brilliant. You know, there's a lot of brilliant minds at, at Deloitte. And I just, I love being in the same company as them. So for the audience, what is a futurist? How would you describe <laughs> that colleague or others that use that as a title or a description of what they do, how they do? Well, I think they would have to describe it for you. I think what I think a futurist mm -hmm. is, is is a purveyor of information mm -hmm. and um, someone that creatively um understands how things are moving, whether it's they're focused on technology and innovation yeah. or they're focused on a sector. They're looking at um, all of the different variables and they are, like I said, a purveyor of information. They're pulling, they're a listener. You know? Finding patterns. Yeah, yeah. That's probably one of the reasons why I'm so excited about meeting them because <laughs> I, I see a kindred spirit. Mm. When you said that, I thought, oh, I think Dawn's a futurist. <laughs> <But, laughs> I don't know if you've identified yourself <laughs> as that, but it sounds as though uh, you're on your way. When you look toward the future and you just have your daily conversations with your children, with colleagues, 
um, at work or outside of work, neighbors, friends, family members, what can just ordinary people, so to speak, what can we all do to be better at mitigation? And how can we all find the little perhaps naturalist inside of us or nurture that naturalist inside of us? Well, I think that um, we look around in our current situation. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that one of the things when I um, talk to mentees and, um, you know, people are like, oh, you do so much. How do I? I don't think it's about doing everything. I think Mm -hmm. that it's about making the small changes, you know, the changes in maybe how you dispose of your waste, the changes in your your eating, the, the, the choices that you make in your consumerism, yes. um, who you vote for, you know, those type of changes um, are going to be the incremental changes that if people do them in mass will make the big shifts. Mm-hmm. So I think um, being a small part of a big puzzle can't be, you know, it can't be understated, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that understanding that you matter you know, is really important. And so I think that um, nurturing the, um, the naturalist inside of us all, I think it's, it's just that, um, that curiosity, you know, that, that confident curiosity. And I think that that's, that's what it is for me because I think we all have questions, but maybe we're not confident to explore them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and then I think the last thing I'd say is, um, exercising our empathy mm-hmm. you know um i'm also a huge reader i don't know if you could tell but i <laughs> i am a voracious reader and um one thing i find is that reading fiction um reading the fiction of other cultures mm-hmm. helps to grow your empathy so i would encourage people to grow their empathy what does that look like to grow your empathy well, to expand your horizons, to um, read stories that are not your own, um, so that like when you read stories that are not your own um, and you're faced with either a conversation with somebody that you don't, you know, that, that maybe you don't share a cultural background or um, even presented with a problem or um, a candidate that you're looking to hire, whatever it may be, when you're presented with something that is different from what you're used to, if you have something that you can find that is common, then that helps you to empathize with that person. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be exactly the same, but if you can empathize with someone because they're a mother, or you can empathize with someone because, you know, they like to swim, uh, that actually changes your mindset for how you interact with them. And that also changes your mindset for things like the things that comes to my mind is when we start talking about environmental justice and we start looking at, you know, um, a lot of the systemic um, issues that go along with environmental justice. A lot of that could have been weeded out with simple empathy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. When you think of your daughters, do you... I, I, I know, I must know that you are mindful in how you interact with them all the time. I, I, I know that to be true without you even saying that. But 
do you intentionally uh, model certain characteristics, um, perhaps persistence, perhaps um, things that you may not be feeling or thinking at the time, but because you know it needs, they need to see it, they need to feel it. And in addition to that, what do you want for your daughters? Mm. I'll take it in reverse. I think, okay. you know, what I what I want for my daughters is for them to be happy. That's simple. You know. Um, is it simple? Well, I think that, you know, happiness is a, well, I think it's art and a science, too. I think that there's a methodology to happiness. Yes. There's, there's a happiness quotient. There's a science of happiness. And yes. I think that if you do the steps, you can cultivate happiness. Right. And so um, I think that also with kids, um, they don't necessarily do as you say, they do as you do. Um, my kids are tired of me lecturing. That's what my <laughs> oldest daughter says. She's tired. She's heard all of my lectures before because I practice on them all the time. <laughs> and so it's not about my words anymore. It's about how I show them and mm-hmm. how I live my life to teach them the tools of cultivating happiness. I think that that was a big pivot for me in my yes. life because, again, I'm always changing. And I, it wasn't enough for me to say, I want you to be happy, go be happy. It was, I need to be happy. Yes. I need to crack the nut on how to cultivate my own happiness so that I can model it. Mm-hmm. And that is the best gift that I can give them. Um, I don't care what they want to do in life or how they, you know, um, decide to become their own human beings. Mm -hmm. But um, there's, if you can have that, those tools Mm -hmm. in your tool belt, you know, because, you know, life isn't easy as much as I want to I, I make the joke, I want to carry them my, them my womb till they're 35 yes. years old. You know? yes. <laughs> like, I just want to yes. protect them. Yes. I can't. Yes. So the next best thing is to teach them to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. I want to spend more time here. When we talk about happiness, you want happiness for your daughters. What is happiness? Is it having the things you want? Is it just having a smile on your face? What is happiness, Dawn? I think it's different for everybody. You know, I think that, um, I mean, I can tell you what's happiness for me. You know, um, my favorite food is mango. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the sunshine on my face. Mm -hmm. I go into another world when I swim. Um, A hug from my daughters is Mm -hmm. complete joy for me. Um, Waking up from a deep sleep makes me happy. You know, um, a long bath makes me, I mean, the list can go on, right? I think that um, when my dad, he used to ask me, uh, what is it that you want? Like, what is it that, you know, you, you want to be and what you want? And the thing of it is that I learned is that I don't dream of labor. I don't dream of working. And when he used to ask me that, I would say, sitting on the beach, with a Mai Tai, with my feet in the water. Mm-hmm. And he would say, that's not a job. And that was the only thing that would come into my brain. Yes. 
And it took me a little while to say to myself that sitting on the beach in Mai Tai with a Mai Tai is actually financial freedom. Yes. It's peace of mind Mm -hmm. and it's ease. Mm -hmm. So how do I cultivate those things in my life? Mm -hmm. And that's what I was describing for you. It's wonderful. And I think it sounds as though happiness is knowing how to identify what brings you joy because you clearly know what brings you joy and leaning on that brings you happiness. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. One more thing (laughs) before we leave. You also mentioned that you want your daughters to be able to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And what is that? Now, I'm a mother, and I know what that means for me, but what does that mean for you and your daughters in wanting them to be able to protect themselves? You make me cry because it's okay. You know, it's like all the, the slings and arrows, right? There's all the pitfalls in life, you know, and, you know, once upon a time I was, you know, I guess maybe I'm still a daredevil, but I was a huge daredevil. Ooh, I don't know how my mom did it. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I definitely appreciate my mom so much more now that I'm She wasn't going to stifle you. She didn't, though, but gosh, <laughs> dog, I don't know how she did it. I really don't know. I mean, I I wanted to travel. I went backpacking by myself in Fiji. I went to Europe when I was 14. Like, I just, I wanted to travel, and I wanted to just be on the go and do all of these things. Um And there were pitfalls, there were dangers, there were things that, you know, I'm lucky to be alive, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so there's a part of me that on this end of the spectrum, I'm, I want to save them from all the heartache and, you know, all of that. And, but at the end of the day, that's not going to protect them right? It will actually stifle them. So experience, um, being able to have that confidence and experience and that know-how. I taught my oldest daughter to read when she was three. And I um, curate book lists for her. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, she's, she got that from her mom. She likes to read. So I curate book lists for her. Um, my youngest daughter, she is a consummate innovator. And so um, I curate treasure hunts for her, mm-hmm. you know, so that she can learn to um, create and to um, innovate in a responsible way, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then I encourage them to get out. I encourage them to make friends and to um, experience adults in a safe way um, so that they can learn to um, find their voice. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important to advocate for themselves. Um, I had them memorize their, my phone number by the time they were, they could talk, you know, like these kind of things, you know, um, and I uh, talk to them, whether they're listening to me or not. I tell them about the world and what they're going to encounter and um, how I've navigated it. I think that one of the, th- the biggest gifts, that, another gift that my mom gave me was um, she unabashedly told me about her life mm-hmm. and the mistakes that she made. Mm-hmm. And so when I encountered those things, 
even though I thought I wasn't listening, mm -hmm. when I encountered those things, I was like, oh, my mom said not to do that, you know. And so when I was backpacking on an island mm -hmm. somewhere, I was, I had those lessons in my head. And those are the things that I think probably saved me. You also mentioned that you were lucky. Yes. You were lucky. Um, I so, consider so do myself you, a lucky person. Okay, so do you believe in luck? Do well, you, I think that, you know, people say that uh, luck is uh, where uh, experience meets opportunity. Yes. I also think that you can um, uh, cultivate luck. Mm -hmm. I think that, like I said, it takes a lot of work to stay the same. Yes. It also uh, decreases your um, potential yeah. for things to happen mm -hmm. that could be considered luck, right? Um, so one of the things that I do um, is uh, if I'm going into like a conference or a space that I've never been in and there's going to be a lot of people, I sit in the car for a second, I close my eyes and I think of a color. Mm. When I walk into that space, anyone wearing that color, I go and talk to them. Interesting. And I can tell you that has helped me to have conversations, experiences, things that never necessarily would have come to me mm. that may be considered lucky. Mm. You know, I've put myself in situations completely outside of my comfort zone. Mm. I've put myself in situations that I have no idea how to do it. You know, going to a place like Microsoft as a yes. geoscientist, I, I didn't know. Yes. Right. And I figured it out. Nice. And that has, I don't know if you would consider it lucky per se, but it increased um, that surface area, mm -hmm. right, for things to be able to gravitate towards me. Mm. Cultivation. I love it. So as we begin to wrap up our conversation, which I'd love to continue on, what have we not talked about? What do we need to, what needs to be said before we close out? Well, I think that um, one of the things that I think is understated sometimes is uh, bravery, mm. you know, and courage. I think that... Um, when I just spoke about doing things that are completely outside of your comfort zone, yes. it takes bravery to do that kind of thing. And um, jumping and not knowing where you're going to land, mm -hmm. you know, it takes courage. And I think that everybody has that inside of them. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it takes, you know, something in your gut to be like, it's okay if it doesn't work out. But what if it does work out? What if it does? Yeah. Mm. What a wonderful way <laughs> to end our conversation. What if it does? Yeah. So, Dawn, thank you so much for visiting with me today. It was not only inspirational, but aspirational. Mm. And what if it does? <laughs> so to our audience, I hope you've had the opportunity to listen to this conversation and all of our other conversations on all of our platforms. And for me, I'm going to encourage us all to number one, accept change. And number two, don't stifle your creativity or anyone around you. Thank you and have a lovely day.